Welcome in to another edition of the Wisports.net podcast. I'm Travis Wilson, general manager at Wisports.net and your host of the WSN podcast. Here we are heading into level two of the high school football playoffs, heading into sectional play for soccer, girls volleyball, state cross country championships this weekend, all kinds of action in high school sports. Today on the WSN podcast, we're going to walk through a preview, a look at level two of the high school football playoffs, and also answer some questions from you, the, the listeners and, and fans of Wisports.net, uh, the Twitterati, if you will, put out uh, a call for some questions and got some great ones this week for the WSN podcast. Before we get into all of that, though, let's help save lives on Wisconsin roads. The life you save might just be yours. Make the commitment to yourself and passengers that are with you by buckling up and putting the phone down every trip, every time. To find out more, take the pledge at wisconsindot.gov. Well, again, we're into level two of the high school football playoffs, and we'll take a, a, a brief breeze through each of the divisions, a little bit of a synopsis, some of the things that we're looking forward to in each division. And let's start in eight-player football, where we're into the elite eight in eight-player football. One less round of the playoffs, so... Eight-player football a little bit farther along than the 11-player brethren. In level one, looking back, there was one pretty significant upset as fourth-seeded Lena St. Thomas Aquinas took down top-seed Gibraltar. Now, both of those teams had done really well this year. In fact, Lena St. Thomas Aquinas has just one loss, a really strong group that they're in. The one loss had been to Gibraltar in a very, very close game earlier in the year. But Lena St. Thomas Aquinas gets its revenge in level one, downing top-seeded Gibraltar. So now Lena St. Thomas Aquinas plays at Wabino Leona. You've got uh, a matchup, a, a rematch, a couple of rematches elsewhere in eight-player football, including Clayton at Siren, and then DeSoto at Belmont. DeSoto uh, had won its first seven games in eight-player football after moving over from 11-player last year until week nine when they lost to Belmont and they get another shot at the Braves this week. And then top-ranked defending state champion Newman Catholic will host Gilman. That game will be at Merrill High School. Um, the, uh, the, the Cardinals of Newman Catholic against the Pirates of Gilman, they played a great game in the state semifinals last year with Newman Catholic holding on. I think it was a one-point game. 29-28, I believe, was the final in that one last year in the state semifinals. Gilman's only two losses this year were to Thorpe and Owen Withy, two really strong teams that were not eligible for the playoffs. So this could be, uh, to this point, maybe the toughest test that Newman Catholic has had. They have kind of breezed through the playoffs so far. So that's a, a look at eight-player. Again, just four uh, games on the schedule in eight-player football. Eight teams alive. Next week is the state semifinals already for eight-player football. Looking at Division Seven, uh, you know some a few upsets. Uh, in fact, just one upset by seeding. Um, that was Boyceville. Uh, they were the only lower-seeded team. They beat uh, Elmwood Plum City forty to twenty. Uh, maybe a couple other games that you could look at that were a little bit surprising, even though by seed they, they weren't necessarily. Sets up some fun games in level two. And, and group B, I think, is where the, 
the real intrigue and interest uh, in terms of best games is this week. You've got River Ridge at Pepin Alma. Pepin Alma's undefeated and, and top-seeded. Uh, River Ridge uh, has some really talented athletes uh, that can can push the field. And then you've got Bangor at Potosi Cassville. Of course, Bangor is a, a longtime powerhouse in Division Seven. They've matched up with Six Rivers Conference teams frequently in the playoffs over the years and have uh, most of the time, especially recently, gotten the better of those Six Rivers teams. So another uh, another one here with uh, Potosi-Cassville welcoming in Bangor. Also of note, uh, defending state champion Reedsville goes on the road now in level two as they'll take on Shyocton. So that's a good game there as well. So some interesting games in, in Division 7. Like I said, that Group B, I think, has the, the most interesting games with the possibility of some really outstanding games next week. We're talking about the possibility, if they both win, and the people that these teams play can be a little upset at us if they'd like, but we get the chance of uh, looking ahead in, uh, in as, as fans and media. Regis against Edgar next week, maybe? Pepin Alma against Bangor or Potosi Cassville, Cashton against Blackhawk Warren. Those would be some really interesting games in Division 7. Division 6 field. A couple of upsets there. Uh, a couple of five over fours. And then the biggest upset, uh, again, at least by seeding, was Bonduel going on the road as a six seed and defeating third seeded Crivets 22 to 7. You've got. Uh, you know, a few rematches. You've got Unity at Grantsburg. Um, you have uh, Belleville at Darlington, which I think has a lot of intrigue in that one. I was at that game just a few weeks ago as the Quick Trip in Wisconsin Dairy Game of the Week. Darlington went up 31 nothing. They led 34-7 at halftime, and, and we were thinking, running clock, maybe? Is this one, you know, is this one over? But Belleville really controlled that second half and came back made a, a game of it. It was still a two-score game, but it was close. Um, 34-24 was the final, and Belleville, you know, did some some damage and caused some problems. Their passing attack uh, was able to get it going against Darlington, and their, their defense stiffened. So is it going to be a case where that momentum that they had in that second half and that confidence that maybe they gained will carry them forward for a, a better overall performance against Darlington this time around. Um, St. Mary Springs uh, plays Bonduel this week. Springs is, is the favorite for most people. And then you've got Coleman against Cedar Grove, Belgium as well. So some, uh, some interesting games in Division 6. As we look at Division 5, a couple of six seeds won in Division 5. No seven seeds, but a couple of six seeds did win. You had Keel uh, as a six seed advancing, and you had Brookfield Academy as a six seed advancing. Not huge surprises either way. Keel beat Wittenberg Burnhamwood, and, and Keel comes out of a pretty tough league with a little bit larger competition than uh, Wittenberg Burnhamwood, although uh, WB in a very good conference, the CWC Large. And then Brookfield Academy had played university school earlier this year um, in a competitive game. Lost that time, but got a win in the playoffs. So this week, we really start getting into the meat of the uh, of the action in Division Five, and it's 
it's really all about that group A, that top left grouping that, that certainly had a lot of conversation and a lot of controversy around it as a result of the placements, as a result of the seeding. I mean, you have the defending Division Five state champion Aquinas and the defending Division Six state champion Colby, and they're not even the top two seeds. You have undefeated Northwestern. Again, not a top seed. The top seed is St. Croix Falls. So the matchups this week in that group Colby, one loss at St. Croix Falls, one loss. Aquinas, one loss at undefeated Northwestern. The weather, the last I checked, was supposed to be pretty decent, even all the way up uh, at Northwestern, which will, I think, help Aquinas' chances against Northwestern. Aquinas likes to throw the ball with Jackson Flotmeyer, who's one of the finalists for our Senior Football Awards that we'll talk about a little bit later. I uh, forgot to mention that. Um, and so that will be beneficial for that long trip up to Northwestern. Uh, the, the Northwestern Tigers going to, to try to ground and pound a little bit, control that game, be physical. Um, but that, uh, again, should be a great, great game. It was one of our Game of the Week nominees. Did not end up winning, but that would have been a fun trip uh, all the way up to Northwestern to, to see two really outstanding state title level teams meet up in level two. In division four, as we look at uh, what happened there, you know, some, some interesting results involving some middle border conference teams against some South Central conference teams. The middle border was very good. They won all three matchups against South Central conference teams, and that included a couple of road victories. Baldwin-Woodville taking down Adams Friendship, St. Croix Central, a six-seed beating third-seeded Wisconsin Dells. Uh, Xavier went on the road and got a win as well as a five-seed. So now our matchups in, in Division Four Level 2, again, some pretty interesting ones. You've got some rematches. Uh, you've got um, uh, Lake Mills at Lodi, which was a very good game the last time around. You've got an undefeated Two Rivers team having to go on the road as a three-seed to take on Kiwaskum in what should be a good game. You've got a very physical and uh, good Lakeside Lutheran team that gets the unfortunate uh, honor of being the level two opponent for Catholic Memorial, everybody's favorite in Division Four. Um, Lakeside Lutheran is the kind of physical team that runs the football a lot that, you know, if they get going and they can get their offense going and control clock, could maybe cause some issues for Catholic Memorial. You've got kind of that um, no longer same conference, but same area and used to be the same conference uh, rivalry with Xavier and Little Shoot going at it. You've got uh, Columbus looking like you know they'll get a, a tough game against a, a Baldwin-Woodville team that, again, comes out of a very good conference. So some interesting games in, uh, in Division 4 for sure. Division 3 was uh, a few more upsets in Division 3, uh, including one of the 7 over 2 uh, results that we had as Notre Dame went on the road and meet, beat uh, the Reedsburg Beavers. Um, very impressive performance for Notre Dame. We were a little unsure what to expect out of Notre Dame. They, they played three really good teams this year in the regular season, and they had three really competitive, close games against those teams, but could not get a victory in any of those. 
They beat up on the teams they were supposed to beat the other six games, but you know, a little unsure. But they were very impressive in that win over Reedsburg. So they get a rematch this week against Menasha. Had lost to Menasha the first time around, as those are far and away the two best teams right now, uh, in, in perhaps for the foreseeable future in the FRCC South. Um, you've got a, a couple types of matchups that we've seen a number of times over the years with Rice Lake going against a great Northern Conference team, which has not gone well for the GNC teams in the past. This year it's third-seeded Rice Lake on the road at second-seeded Mosinee. Um, again, Rice Lake has beaten the Greater Metro, or excuse me, Great Northern Conference teams a number of times over the years. On Alaska has matched up with some greater Great Northern Conference teams several times as well. They welcome in Medford this week. And then perhaps the best game uh, of one of the best games, certainly, of the entire week in Division Three, you have Pewaukee, the defending champions in Division Three, at Monroe, the top-ranked and undefeated team in Division Three. I think, perhaps, in my opinion, the two best teams in Division Three meeting up in Level Two. Um, Pewaukee was not happy to get a four seed as a defending state champion with two losses to uh, very good teams and. You know, playing a, a pretty tough schedule overall, including in the Parkland Conference. But uh, again, maybe the game of the week um, right here in level two. A few other interesting games that you, you've got Grafton at Eisenhower, West Bend East at Mount Horror Barneveld. We'll, we'll talk about Mount Horror Barneveld in just a minute regarding some, uh, some user questions. Um, and then New Berlin West, a team I saw and really liked. When they beat Newberlin Eisenhower a few weeks ago in the quick trip in Wisconsin Dairy Game of the Week, they are at Martin Luther, who comes uh, comes into Division Three with a, an enrollment that's really taking off in Mar- at Martin Luther. Um, so they bump up to Division Three and, and bump up to a, a certainly a different level of competition in Division Three compared to the the teams that they play in the uh, in the Metro Classic, which is a good league. But many of them are D5 teams that they're playing in the regular season. The Division II field, we've got some interesting games. We've got uh, a couple of six seeds still alive. It's Kaukauna, one over Milwaukee uh, King, I think it was they had. Um, let me just double check that. Kaukauna had, uh, yeah, Milwaukee King. And then you had Burlington beating Waterford as another six-over-three-seed matchup. Those teams had met in the regular season in South, uh, Southern Lakes Conference play, of course. And Waterford had won the first game. This time, though, Burlington got its revenge. Some interesting matchups here. Homestead and Hartford, two you know, old rivals going at it. Not necessarily you know, the, the kind of Homestead season that we've come to expect. But, uh, you know, it, it's going to be a really, really tough battle. You've got DeForest and Sun Prairie East. DeForest and Sun Prairie, excuse me, is a game that for years folks in the, the Madison area would have loved to have seen. Excuse me. Um, they did not play in the Badger crossover this, this year. So we get that game in the playoffs. You've got a Classic 8 rematch between Kettle Moraine and Waukesha West. Um, you've got a pretty good Kaukauna team going on the road to Slinger. 
West of Pier, not happy about their three seed having to go all the way across the state to play New Richmond. So some some interesting things happening happening certainly in Division Two. In Division One, uh, one of the bigger upsets, certainly by seed and, and just in general, occurred as seventh seeded Marquette went on the road and beat second seeded Big Eight champion Verona in level one of the playoffs three nothing. Eric Schmidt booted a, a short field goal just before halftime, the only points in that one, as some of the postseason struggles for the Big Eight kind of kind of happening again. Um, obviously, we saw Sun Prairie make a great run last year and, and a few times over the years, but for teams not named Sun Prairie, uh, there's there's been some early exits in the postseason and some struggles when some of those Big Eight teams play teams outside of the league. Now, with that said. Middleton gets a chance, and Madison Memorial get a chance this week to make some statements on behalf of the Big Eight. Middleton will play at Wanakee. That's a, a rematch from a regular season non-conference game that Wanakee won in a very competitive matchup. And then Madison Memorial is at Arrowhead this week. Uh, other storylines that we're following in Division One. There's a couple of uh, of rematches, including another one of those games that that people are looking at as a potential game of the week. Kimberly at Nina. Kimberly ended up getting the three seed despite beating Nina head to head. Both teams finished with one loss, so that game is at Nina. And then you've got Marquette at Sussex Hamilton in a Greater Metro Conference rematch. Other stories we're following. Uh, Franklin is at Muskego. We have seen that matchup in the playoffs a number of times. In fact, they met three straight years from 2017 to 2019. Muskego won all of those. The teams did not play last year when Franklin, uh, of course, went on to be the state champion and end the uh, the run of state championships for Muskego. Again, they did not play, but, um, but Franklin uh, was the champion last year. And then an interesting game with Badger at McGuanago. There was a lot made, understandably, of the situation involving the Southeast Conference teams and where they were seated and how they were seated. We're seeing Horlick got the four. They ended up losing to Franklin. Uh, Franklin went up early in that game. Uh, Horlick came back but couldn't quite close the door, and, and Franklin uh, won to advance. But then Oak Creek ended up getting the sixth seed, uh, again, we're unhappy having beaten Franklin and Horlick head-to-head and got the sixth seed. But they went on the road at Badger, and Badger pulled out a win. They were uh, down at halftime but came back with a couple touchdowns in the fourth quarter to, uh, to, to get the job done, or excuse me, in the second half to get the job done. So that sets up Badger at McGuanago. And... Badger head coach Matt Hensler is a graduate of McGuanago. His father, Keith Hensler, was the longtime coach at McGuanago, led them to their only state title back in 2004 in Division I. So a little bit of, uh, of intrigue there. Uh, Appleton North at Hudson. We've seen Appleton North and Hudson play in the playoffs a number of times. For, for a few times that they played, they would play at neutral sites in the Wausau or Stevens Point area, but the last few years it's been all... Um, all home, non-neutral site contests. So this one is at Hudson. So some very good games in Division One, and sets the stage for 
you know, some of those really compelling games potentially next week, including maybe Wanakee and Kimberly, maybe Muskego and Maguanago. So uh, some good games in D1 and some games that we're looking forward to, certainly. Let's take another chance to help save lives on Wisconsin roads and remind you to help save lives on Wisconsin roads. The life you save might just be yours. Make the commitment to yourself and passengers that are with you by buckling up and putting the phone down every trip, every time. To find out more, take the pledge at wisconsindot.gov. Big thank you to Wisconsin Department of Transportation for sponsoring our WSN podcast and for sponsoring our playoff coverage of the high school football playoffs on wisports.net. Well, let's get into some of the questions that you submitted, some of the, the readers, listeners, fans of wisports.net. Uh, first of all, from Uber Luke, do you believe the quality of officiating has changed in recent seasons? Which high school extracurricular activities do you feel will be most affected by shortages in the coming years? Um, I don't know if this is because I have um, gotten more involved in officiating the last couple of years. I've, I've been licensed for a long, long time, but haven't done games for quite a while uh, until last year. But my observation is that many officials are making even more investments in in their officiating careers and putting more time in to go to clinics, putting more time in to be involved in officials associations where they're reviewing film, they're talking about situations, they are, you know, conversing using the the technology that's available, whether it's huddle, uh, communication systems, Facebook groups, um, Zoom meetings, YouTube videos, what have you, to uh, to become better officials and. You know, I think an argument certainly could be made that overall the uh, the the quality of officiating has increased. Now, that's not to say that there's not challenges, that there's not issues with shortages still, and you know, whatever. But um, there has been, I think, an investment from officials to become better uh, and, and utilize all of those platforms and technologies that we have available to, uh, to, to become better. In terms of what activities might be most affected, you know, I, I, think, uh, I think all of them could be. Uh, I, I will say, and as I have said a number of times, I still think that the more significant threat to the ability to, you know, have on time, on schedule, as many contests as we would like, uh, high school sporting events, the bigger threat revolves around bus drivers and transportation. There's been more games impacted because of transportation issues than there have been uh, officials issues. There will be, at least for the rest of this year, I'm very confident, more games impacted by transportation issues than there will be by official shortages. Both are, are challenges that schools and teams and the WIA will have to deal with, but um, I, I think I think officials are in a little bit better spot, and I think officials you can you can cover up challenges a little bit uh, by officials taking on more games. To be honest with you, the, uh, you know their uh, officials have been a, a really good at stepping up to fill those games. It's harder to find people to step up and, and fill bus driving spots. You can't just say, okay, bus driver, you got to drive more. It doesn't really work that way. So I think uh, I think that that's a challenge, obviously. 
Jim Hart wants to know my thoughts on the Classic 8 Conference. Do you think that Kettle Moraine will go far in D2? And what of the three D1 teams will go farther? Well, uh, I have said before that I think in Division 2, the two best teams are Kettle Moraine and Sun Prairie East. They're in the same region, which means that if they continue to win out, if they win this week, they would meet in Level 3 next week. I did pick, as you have seen in my, uh, my picks that I made, in our staff mm-hmm. and media partner projections, I did pick the, uh, the Sun Prairie East Cardinals to win that game, advance to state, and eventually win state in Division Two. I think it should be a great game. I think there's a lot, a lot to like about Kettle Moraine on both sides of the ball. Their defense is outstanding and has some really talented elite-level players. Their offense is outstanding, has some elite-level players, quarterback Chase Spellman, uh, receiver Drew Wagner. You've got Nolan Scope uh, potentially playing a bigger role on offense as the season goes along and the playoffs go along, whether it's at tight end or running back. Sam Kufel, an outstanding two-way player. Scope's a two-way player. Um, I, I like him a lot. And, and again, I think they're one of the two best teams in Division Two. Uh, in terms of Division One, I, I think, and, and it it showed at least in the head-to-head matchups, I, I think that Muskego and Maguanago are just a, a tick ahead of Arrowhead, uh, but Arrowhead's got Arrowhead doesn't have to face either of those teams to get to the state semifinals. Muskego has to face Franklin this week and potentially Maguanago next week. Uh, Maguanago has to play Muskego again potentially next week. So just to get to the state semifinals, you know the path sets up a little uh, better for Arrowhead to get there. And I picked them to get to the state semifinals and play Maguanago. And I picked Maguanago to, to win that one and to win state. So, I mean, if you're asking me which of the three I like the best, I guess I'm taking Maguanago since I, I picked them to beat both Muskego and Arrowhead and, and win a state title. Uh, so that's my that's my look at the Classic 8, which did win all five games. You throw those uh, four teams that we talked about, plus Waukesha West in there, the Classic 8 went 5-0. and and level one of the playoffs. Jordan Quinn says, on last week's podcast, you mentioned that the football state series is regional based. What are your feelings on D1 being seated one through 32 or having a North and South regional that is seated one through 16? You know, I think in, in a vacuum where we don't have to worry about anything else, I think every sport, every division, you would love to be able to seed one through whatever, whether it's one through 32 in football, one through 96 or one through 128 or whatever it might be in basketball, depending on the, the division in a vacuum, you would like to be able to do that and try to get the best teams, um, you know, playing the other best teams later into the playoffs. However, I, I do understand and I do agree with and like the idea of a regional-based tournament. High school sports are not the NFL or the NBA where you can fly around and do whatever you want and not really have to worry about travel. Even the NCAA does their tournaments largely in attempt to uh, to do regional-based tournaments at the lower you know, Division three levels, even at the Division one NCAA March Madness level. I mean, they they group teams somewhat um, within groupings regionally in, in these pods. Um, 
now part of that is to to make sure that those those games have as many attendance uh, as as much attendance as possible. But I mean, there's regionally based um, components to to most tournaments of any kind, whether it's a, a Babe Ruth tournament, uh, a Little League tournament, an AAU tournament, whatever it might be. I mean, most of them are regionally based in some capacity. So I, I don't disagree with the idea that you're trying to do a regional based tournament for a, a few reasons. Number one, to limit the travel impacts on, on schools and on schools' budgets. Um, also, so that you don't have situations where uh you know, team A drives by five teams to go play team B over here. Um, that gets people going. And, and that's a question that, that's going to be asked here in just a moment. Um, the next question, uh, it, it's always funny though, right? And I've said this before, people will travel as far as they need to, as far as they have to, as far as it takes, if they feel like they can get a win or they have a better chance to get a win. But if you have them travel a little bit against a tough team, that's where people start yelling and screaming and and talking about how the travel is too too much. Um, again, I, I I I think the idea of a regional based tournament is fine. The WIA also, you know, we're we're talking education based athletics here. Keep that in mind. Um, I think the WIAA wants to, and I think they're open about wanting to spotlight and showcase different teams from different parts of the state, from different communities, from different, um, you know, uh, types of schools. They, they like the fact that at state, state championships, whether it's football, basketball, baseball, track, whatever, that you have kids from small schools, you know, at South Shore, competing and you have kids from inner city Milwaukee and you have kids from Potosi and you have kids from uh, Bayport and you have kids from Madison and you have kids from from all over the place right they, they like that to be able to showcase teams and schools around the state of Wisconsin and again because of the logistics because of the cost because of the travel um, I, I don't disagree with it being regionally based would I be opposed to pursuing some options if, if schools felt like it was, it was feasible, not at all. But to this point, schools, the, the, the decision makers at the schools, the administrators have not expressed interest necessarily in further expanding how regions are constructed and assigned in the, in the, the size of those regional groupings and the potential increases that would come with seating one through 16 even in high school football, because you would have Hudson at Racine Case or Hudson at whatever. In in Hudson, Northwestern, Hurley, sometimes we use those or people use those. And we have to remember those are outliers as well. When you're, you know, on the edge of the state, uh, it's a little bit of an outlier. So, you know, I understand Hudson has to, well, in this case, Appleton North has to go to Hudson, and that's a long drive in level two. Um, but it would be worse, it would be compounded if you just did away with the regional groupings and you went one through 32 or one through 16. And I understand that 
that Illinois does it differently and they've got, I can't remember if it's 16 or 32 and whatever. Okay. Um, but I, I understand that it's why it's not done like that. And I'm, I'm okay with it, to be honest with you. Um, I'd be okay if they went one through 16 as well, though, as long as people understood that. Uh, because, as I said, people complain about travel now. And if they complain about travel now, imagine what it would be like 1 through 16 or 1 through 32. Speaking of travel, Chad Rotier is looking at it from the other perspective. Any great ideas to cap playoff travel distances, either neutral sites, other bracketing ideas, given bus driver shortages and difficulties skipping work, it's going to be tough for fans of Appleton West, Marshfield, West Appear to make it to Hudson, River Falls, New Richmond. I think he meant Appleton North, not Appleton West. But uh, I, you understand it. You understand that that's a long drive across the state for some of those teams to be able to make, uh, some of the fans to be able to make. Um, there are options, right? Yes, Friday at 7 o'clock is the default, but they can play on Saturday. They can request a neutral site. However, the WIA has, has basically said, we're not doing neutral sites anymore unless you ask for it, unless both teams want it. We're not going to do it. It used to be, you know, Appleton North and Hudson would play in the playoffs. And, and again, they would play in Wausau or Stevens Point. And neither side liked it necessarily. It, it impacted the gate for both teams. Um, and, you know, the schools kind of said, hey, if we get a home game, we want a home game, no matter what that means. So there really isn't neutral sites used anymore before level four. All Level four games are neutral site, but one, two, and three, they're just, they're, they're just not much of. Um, but again, you can move it to a Saturday if you'd like. We saw one Saturday game in level one. We've got one Saturday game this week as Baldwin-Woodville will play at Columbus on Saturday. Um, in terms of engineering some kind of cap on travel distance, I just don't think you can do it. I mean... Superior is going to travel three hours no matter who they play. Hudson's going to travel almost no matter who they play. Northwestern, Hurley, um, again, some of these teams on the edges of the state are going to travel no matter who they end up being matched up with. So you, you can't do anything about those. And, you know, I, I don't I don't like if, – if we have seeding. If you're going to seed, you have to live with what the results of that mean whether that's conference rematches in level one, whether that's some travel that's a little bit uh, you know, far because there's just some teams that are outliers and no matter where you put them, they're going to be outliers. When you seed, you have to live with all of those consequences if, if that's what you want. If what you want is to seed and try to have you know, better teams, have easier matchups early and you know, earning easier matchups early and better teams in quotation marks, you know, getting deeper into the playoffs and having better teams play other better teams later in the playoffs, which is, is what seeding is about. Then you have to live with the other things that come with it. And it does create challenges. It does create, as Chad mentions, and as I talked about issues with uh, transportation and bus drivers uh, issues, It it creates challenges for fans that if, if, I'm going to go watch my kid play two and a half or three hours away. I've got to leave work at, 
you know, one o'clock or two o'clock on Friday afternoon to make it work. I, those are the things that you have to live with if you want seating. And those are the things that get uh, worse and in, uh, you know, in, in our exacerbated is the word I was looking for. I wanted to say exasperated, but maybe that's what I am right now. Exacerbated by seating one through 16 or one through 32, potentially. Ryan Stefaniak with the question of the week. Excluding Quick Trip. What are your power rankings for fast food restaurants? Does the McRib make your top three fast food menu items? I, I've never been huge on the McRib. Um, when it comes back, I don't really care. I've maybe had one McRib in the last 10 years. I, maybe. I don't even know the last time I had a McRib. It's not my cup of tea per se. Um, I've eaten more of the uh, the rib sandwiches at Quick Trip, certainly, than I have at, at uh, McDonald's. But... Obviously, Culver's, you know, we all love Culver's, and and so we've got to have Culver's up there. I'm a big Popeye's fan. I like Chick-fil-A, but I would give an edge to to uh, to Popeye's, I, I think, in that chicken battle. But I'll tell you, the, the chicken sandwich at KFC, since this whole chicken sandwich battle erupted a couple years ago, the chicken sandwich at KFC has, has improved considerably. I'm a big fan of it. I would put it up there with the Chick-fil-A and Popeye's chicken sandwich. Even the, what is it, the Chiking, I think it's called, at Burger King, the chicken sandwich, isn't too bad. I, I, I have uh, been a fan of the chicken sandwich battles because I, I, I like chicken sandwiches at fast food restaurants as opposed to some of the greasy burgers that are available uh, for, for everything else. Um, so I'm, I'm okay with that. I, I don't know if I have a top three fast food menu items. I don't even know what it would be. Probably a couple chicken sandwiches. I mean, a, a double deluxe at Culver's fried onions instead of uh, raw onions. Uh, you know, that's, that's up there. Um, but yeah, uh, as much as we eat at Culver's in our family with two kids on the, uh, on the, you know, run all the time with sports and everything else, uh, Culver's is kind of our, our go-to though. Merrywood Pride, with more and more schools going eight-player, do you think it's just a matter of time until there are two separate eight-player divisions? Will 11-player go back to six divisions instead of seven? I've, I've said this before. I, I think I thought that we would have potentially been at six divisions of 11-player by now a few years ago. But that seems to have changed as there just hasn't been an appetite to reduce the... Uh, the 11-player playoffs, even though it means more teams that finish under 500 get in, even though it means the the divisional cut lines are stretched a little bit more, um, there just really hasn't been a request for it. So if nobody's asking for it, they're not going to do it. Um, I think, though, I, I think going to six divisions in 11-player is more likely than two divisions of eight-player. I think expanded playoffs in eight-player is maybe not far off, but I don't know that it's going to be two separate eight-player divisions. I think more likely we'll be expanding the eight-player playoffs from currently 16 teams making it. I think we're getting closer to where 32 teams, excuse me, will uh, will make it in eight-player football. I think that is more likely than two eight-player divisions. 
Uh, you also have to remember that not all eight-player teams are eligible for the playoffs. So even though we might have 56 or whatever number it is, teams playing eight-player football, when you look at the number of teams actually eligible, it's smaller than that. Um, also, there's obviously continued talk about that enrollment cap for playoff eligibility for eight-player. I've said before, and I'll say it again, I am okay, and I agree with, having a cap of 200 for the enrollment to be eligible for the playoffs. I think uh, eight-player was meant for the smallest of the small schools. Um, I think the teams that are, you know, 110, 125, 140, um, I understand them not wanting to go back to now playing schools of 250, 300, 400 students. Um I still feel like if you have 250, 300 kids, you can play 11-player football. Obviously, there's challenges. Obviously, there's more challenges in some places. But I look at the participation numbers at some schools, and, you know, it can be done. Um, it's, it's kind of my philosophy in general when, you know, talking about changing conferences and going to eight-player and all this other stuff, like it can be done. It's hard. It takes a while. It takes the right people in place, but it can be done. If, you know, Luther can get in the playoffs, if Nicolay can get in the playoffs, if some of these teams that have had little to no success for years can get it turned around, I think most places can. Um, so I, I prefer looking inward to solve challenges as opposed to looking outward. And that includes, you know, schools of 250, 300, 350 students trying to go to eight player. Um, I just, I don't think it's necessary. Um, and I don't think it's fair to the smallest of the small schools that eight player was designed for. So Nathan Cromery wants to know if uh, any shot that Hudson will beat Appleton North. Well, Hudson's the two seed, and Appleton North is the, what are they, the five or six seed. So, I mean, yeah, of course. <laughs> Hudson is probably the favorite. Um, I I think I picked Appleton North saying that now. But, I mean, as a two seed, of course, you you should at least have a chance to beat a six seed. Should be a good game. I, I think, obviously, both teams have been very good over the years. I don't think either is maybe at, you know, at their best where they have been over the last decade or, or decade and a half, but it uh, should be a very competitive game. And I, I like Hudson. I saw them against Chippewa Falls earlier this year. Got some really good athletes, Will McDonald, Ben Healy. Um, you know, there's there's some good athletes at Hudson, but uh should be a good game. Drew Latrenta wants to know, how much do uh, outlets, streaming and radio, pay to broadcast the tournament series? Anything? A lot? The answer is yes, and the answer is it depends on who you are and what you're doing. <laughs> um, so radio broadcasts uh, are $50, and that's payable to the host school. So if I'm a radio station or uh, or a streaming station or a streaming group that wants to broadcast a, a game via radio or audio, that is, I shouldn't say radio, we should say audio to make this clear, it's $50, again, payable to the host school. Now, if I want to do a video broadcast, there are different tiers, depending on what you're doing with it and who you are. So if you are a school looking to broadcast 
one of the playoff games. If you use the NFHS school broadcast program, it is free. If you use a different platform than the NFHS network and you have no sponsorships, so let's say you do it on your Facebook page, you do it on your school YouTube page with no sponsorships, it's $150. And I... I understand people kind of raising an eyebrow about that, about broadcasting your own playoff game, but remember that it's the WIAA tournament series. You are a, a, a home school is a host school. The WIAA does not charge and does not control regular season broadcasts. That's up to each school to decide. But in the WIAA tournament series, the, the schools have given the WIAA the rights to those games and the rights to control those games and sell those rights, which they have to Rush Media, who owns the live stream, live broadcast rights to all of the games. Um, so when you write a check for playoff video streaming or production, it goes to Rush Media because Rush Media has bought those rights from the WIAA. If you're a school and you broadcast a game outside of the NFHS network, and you have sponsorships, so it's your own Facebook or YouTube page, but you have sponsorships that you sell for it, that's $200. If you are a non-school-affiliated media uh, video stream, if you do a live video stream, it's $250. If you are a, a public access channel, and you do a delayed broadcast, it is $100 per school annually and $50 per event. If you are a live public access channel, uh, it is, and you broadcast live, it's $500. If you are a linear production broadcast, meaning a traditional uh, television broadcast, it is $750 if you do that delayed. And if you do a live linear production, so I'm the NBC affiliate in Green Bay and I want to broadcast a game in the playoffs, it is $1,500. So there's different tiers and it, it varies depending on who you are um, and, and what you're doing um, to, uh, to determine the price on that. So that's the breakdown. That's available to all media outlets. Uh, there's you know not really anything hidden about it. Um, there's an application process you have to go through, and uh, and you can do it. So, speaking of that, we're gonna have some. Uh, we'll, we'll tease a little bit. We're gonna have some news to report on that front uh, with WSN streaming a level three football game next week. So we'll have some more information on that uh, coming up here soon. But give you a little, give a little uh, heads up. We're gonna be streaming a level three football game next week uh, with a large-scale production uh, with a, a great partner to get that done. Jordan Love Bookmarks, who gave me a hard time about my Jordan Love takes last year. Uh, so far, I'm bookmarking the Jordan Love Bookmarks. But uh, they ask, should larger schools have an opportunity to join an eight-player division? And, and I talked about this a little bit earlier. I mean, Wausau East should not have been going to eight-player football last year. That's not the route that they should have taken. Um, I mean, a school of 1,000, West Dallas Central, uh, when they had to, to cancel some games last year, you know, some of these larger schools, even schools like Dominican, uh, Sturgeon Bay ended up going and playing eight-player for a few years at a, enrollment around 400. I just, I, I'm not, 
a fan of that. Um, I would love to see kids get opportunities. I'm all about kids getting opportunities, but I think, you know, we have to, as, you know, as the the stakeholders in, in high school football, you've got to be able to, to plan a little bit and, and know when you're going to have some challenges and, and try to, as best you can, and again, knowing that there's it, it's tough, to to do everything you can to be able to provide those opportunities without going to that option. Uh, I'll, I'll just I'll just leave it at that. Um, I don't think for sure anybody over 400 enrollment should be playing eight player, regardless of whether they're in the playoffs or not. Uh, you get lower than that, and and maybe it's an option. I'm okay with it not being playoff eligible. I I would like to see. Just as with the co-ops, when those were first introduced 30, 40 years ago, the, the goal of co-ops was to, to retain the, the ability for schools to offer teams, allow them to build back up, and then separate out of the co-op and you know, go back to having separate teams. And that's just not how co-ops work anymore. Co-ops are put together, um, and then they never dissolve. Hardly, hardly ever. We're seeing a few of them next year, but... You know, there's a lot of places that they have found also that they can be more successful as a co-op, and and they don't even try to get back to offering a team on their own. And the same thing is happening in eight-player football, where outside of a very very small number of teams, including St. Mary Catholic, to their credit, most teams are finding that hey, I can be more successful in eight-player. So even when I get enough kids out that maybe I should be considering moving back to 11 player, even when my participation numbers are really high, I'm just going to stay an eight player because I got a better chance to win. And that's, you know, that's not what eight player was, was designed to do. Um, and so again, bigger schools in eight player, not a fan. The, uh, let's see, Timothy Schmidt wants to know if the Badger, conf- he, he says the Badger conferences have teams spread across three divisions. Who do you see going the farthest in each, what is each team's biggest strength and weaknesses? Well, let's just kind of focus on the first question. Who's going the furthest? As I said, I picked Sun Prairie East to win it all in division two. So that's the team that I'm picking to go the furthest. I think without a doubt, Sun Prairie East and Wanakee are the two best teams in the Badger conference and have the best shot of going the furthest. Um, after those two teams, I don't know if anybody is, you know, that team, um, down in division three, Monthor Barneveld is a two seed as the uh, Badger small conference champion, but they've got a tough one this week against West Bend East. I picked West Bend East to win. And then they're looking at either Monroe or Pewaukee if they happen to get by that one. So, um, the, the large was certainly the better of the two leagues and Sun Prairie East and Wanakee were certainly the class of that. Uh, those two conferences. DeForest is, uh, you know, maybe third in that group or, or third or fourth in that group behind Mount Hora Barneveld, who they, they lost the championship to. But De- DeForest has a, a tough one against Sun Prairie East, even though DeForest is playing better later in the year after a tough start. So uh, really top heavy in the Badger Conference. I think Sun Prairie East and Wanakee are clearly the best two teams and clearly the two best teams that have the best chance to get deepest into the playoffs. So that was the questions this week. Some good questions from the Twitterati uh, that uh, we were able to go through and you know have some good conversations and 
and maybe add a little context as well to to some of the things about how things work and you know what goes into the playoffs and all those other things. So uh, that that's that's it. That's our our AMA for today. Our um, you know question submissions for today. As you saw this week, we have been announcing and will continue to announce over uh, the next day the finalist for the WSN Senior Football Awards. The finalists for eight positions, four on offense, announced today on Wednesday, four announced Thursday, three defensive positions, plus the Kevin Stemke Award for top punter and or kicker. Announced on Wisports.net, we try to do five finalists at each position. It's hard to do, so almost all of them have six. One of them has seven. I think only one or two. No, no, two have uh, have five players, the the Stemke Award and then the Altoon Award have five players. So always tough to cut down. It is the hardest decision during that process is going from the semifinalists to the finalists. Um, so those awards announced this week, the finalists for those awards announced this week on wisports.net. The winners of those awards are announced the week of the state finals. Keep an eye out after level four, we will have a fan vote as part of the selection process for those awards. We have seven great uh, staff and uh, media partner uh, folks that that participate in voting, and then one eighth of the selection is the fan vote that will come out in a couple weeks on WSN. So make sure when that comes out that you're voting for your favorite player in their respective award. So again, you can check out those at wisports.net. Let's take one more chance to help save lives on Wisconsin roads and help you save lives on Wisconsin roads. The life you save might just be yours. Make the commitment to yourself and passengers that are with you by buckling up and putting the phone down every trip, every time. To find out more, take the pledge at wisconsindot.gov. Level 2 of the high school football playoffs is here. Supposed to be a decent night weather-wise. Let's get out and uh, and take in some great games. Level 3 just around the corner. Again, sectional play for several fall sports as well. And don't forget... Basketball, winter sports just around the corner. Norbert Durst continuing his conference previews on Wisports.net for girls basketball. Mark Miller's boys basketball content continuing to come out. So it's going to be a busy season here over, over this changeover season that we have between fall and winter sports on Wisports.net. That will do it for today's edition of the WSN Podcast. I'm Travis Wilson. We'll see you at a game.